Good morning, everybody. Sure is good to see everyone this morning. If you're a guest with us today, we just want to say welcome. Uh, we're really glad that you're here, and however you're here, whether you're here with me in the room right now or we're just together online, uh, together is a good place to be. Amen? It really, really is, and it's good to be with all of you. Before I jump into God's Word this morning, I want to share a little bit of family news. Um, a dear brother, outlooker uh, of ours named Rick Hunziker passed away on Monday. And if you knew Rick and you know his wife Sue or Kirk and Jen, Kirk is his son, Jen, Kirk's wife, they've been a part of our church for so many years, um, be praying for them. And I want to let you know that we'll have a visitation for the family right here this afternoon at two o'clock with a service at three. So uh, keep the Hunsicker family in your prayers. And if you uh, would like, you can come by uh, at two, anywhere between two and three. And the service is at three right here at Outlook. So wanted to let everyone know that. And I'd love to pray for them together as a church family. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we do uh, just want to wrap our arms prayerfully around this precious family and ask that you'd be with them. We know you are, uh, so really we thank you for being with them. In their grief, we grieve with those who grieve, as the scriptures uh, tell us to do, and we do that also as the scriptures tell us to do, with hope. We grieve with hope. Rick knew you. Lord, Rick knows you. Rick is with you, and in that uh, truth, we can be happy for him, even as we're sad and we'll miss him. And so, Lord, we ask that all of that good scriptural truth will resound in the hearts of this family as they move through today and the weeks and the months ahead. Uh, we just lift them up to you. And Lord, we also lift up these next few minutes. We ask God that you'd be with us. Speak to us as only you can. Use this time, Lord Jesus, to plant your good word into our hearts. Lord, that's my prayer, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for praying with me. Uh, speaking of uh, Rick's passing, last week I found myself at the bedsides of three separate outlookers who were at or near, or facing death. I mean, it's a regular part of pastoral ministry, and it's a part that I'm actually grateful for the privilege of experiencing, not only because it, it's a tender, open moment to share some love and, and some scripture and just comfort a, a family, but honestly, over the years, I'm also privileged because I have found that it puts me on the front row of life's most profound classroom, really learning some essential lessons. Things like the importance of family and friends, which we all would say are important, but man, do I see that truth amplified in moments like those. Or the gift of courage that faith in Jesus brings, watching my brothers and sisters in Jesus' face slipping from earth to eternity with courage and vision and faithfulness. Or a lesson that we're going to spend some time unpacking today, not underestimating the impact of one life on so many others. We're going back to basics in this series, and this truth we're looking at today is certainly a foundational stone, a basic of what it means to follow Jesus. And you could frame it like this, our discipleship to Jesus can draw others to Jesus. That our life in Jesus has the power to share life with others. That that is part of this whole Jesus-following thing. Now, power 
is the operative word there. Jesus says uh, some of his last words to his followers in the book of Acts come in chapter 1, verse 8. And he says to his, his people, you will receive power. Someone say power. Power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my, let's say, witnesses, witnesses to the ends of the earth. God has not given us, Paul wrote to Timothy, a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. I want to take a moment to dig into this power. And power is one of those words we might be tempted to just turn it into some sort of kind of amorphous, spiritual, magical power. Like, oh yeah, yeah, God gives me power. But we really don't get specific as to what we mean by that. We might think it's just kind of just some general superpower, just some general idea that I'm empowered. But let's get specific this morning and let the scriptures move us from a general concept to a more specific truth, set of truths about what this power to share the life of Jesus with others through our own lives looks like. And so I want to talk about three things this morning from the scriptures. And the first one is the power of life change. See, we believe this down to our toes, that Jesus, as we say yes to him, that Holy Spirit that we just heard him mention, that we all receive as we say yes to him, Jesus is now turning you and I into a person who makes wiser choices, who sees things more clearly, who loves others more dearly, and, this is really good news, makes the same mistakes less frequently. Doesn't that sound good? I mean, he is changing us into new and more mature, whole, healthy people. In other words, his Holy Spirit is inside us reforming, transforming us. New heart, new mind. We talked about a lot of that this past spring. Now, if you've been a Christian for very long, right about now you're going like, oh yeah, 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 I've heard all that. I get that. Yeah, I'm a new person in Christ. Got it. Nailed. But what I want you to be reminded of this morning is that this change we're talking about, it's not just for you. It has an effect on those around us individually and even on the world collectively. That as Jesus is changing you, and Jesus is changing me, and Jesus is changing the person next to you, and Jesus is changing all of us people who are Christians who've said yes to him, we are having an effect, or at least can, on the world around us. At one point, Jesus says that his people are the salt of the earth, preserving and flavoring society around us, the, the planet we're on, the, the people around us, subtly but persistently having an effect. He also said we're the light of the world in that very same passage. And after he said that we're the light of the world, he made this observation. Look, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. If you grew up in Sunday school like I did, you already you know that song, This Little Light of Mine, hide it under a bushel. No, right? No. No one, hot, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. No one does that, Jesus says. And everyone who heard him probably nodded their head, of course. The implication, of course, is why would we ever hide our faith from others? He goes on, instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. Now, obviously, in this metaphor, we're the lamp. We've now been lit, we've been lighted up, we've been uh, illuminated, we've been set aflame by the Spirit of Christ in us. 
We are that lamp. Our changed lives glow for others to notice. That is, if we're open and genuine in our living for him. In other words, hide it under a basket? No, right? And this illumination, Jesus says, is exactly what the world, everyone in the house, needs. Otherwise, they're in the dark, spiritually speaking. We get to shed light for them just by being ourselves as we're being recreated in Christ. And so Jesus concludes, in the same way, let your good deeds, and that's just not a collection of of good deeds, like look at the good things I've done, but your general good life, your lifestyle, the, the choices that the Holy Spirit's now enabling you to make, your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your Heavenly Father. So, the power that we're talking about here is first a power, the power of a changed life, changing character. And what that tells me is when it comes to this idea that my discipleship to Jesus can draw others to Jesus, it means I just first get to be myself. Just be myself as I'm following Jesus. Be open with that. Just be real about that for anyone, as Jesus puts it, for all to see, right? I don't do the things I used to do. I don't say the things I used to say. I don't see and treat people the way I used to. I don't get angry or jealous or sad the way I used to. I didn't say ever. I just said the way I used to, right? Something's a little different about me. Something's becoming increasingly different and new, and can I say it? Better about me and about you. Thanks to Jesus and his spirit in us. And when people around us when the people around us will notice that. And Jesus says they'll see God. And all we have to do is be. Be ourselves. Let our light shine. The light, you don't have to force the light to shine, right? You just let it shine. Now, Paul used another useful metaphor. It's pretty helpful. At one point in one of his letters, Paul said that our new lives are like a letter written by Jesus for all to read. And I really love the message paraphrase of this passage. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Your very lives are a letter that anyone can read just by looking at you. Christ himself wrote it, not with ink, but with God's living spirit. Not chiseled into stone, but carved into human lives. So here we are, you and me, just normal folks saying yes to Jesus, doing our best to follow him. And we're, we're, what we're told here is just by doing that, we are a light that glows. We're a letter that others can read and begin to get to know what life in Jesus looks like just by looking at us. This is what our lives are intended to become while we're here on earth in the short time that we have. Now, does this mean we must live perfect lives? Does this mean we have to follow Jesus flawlessly? Of course not, right? In fact, it's exactly when we are transparent about our transgressions, God's grace toward them, and yes, our power in him to outgrow some of those transgressions and begin to leave some of them in the rearview mirror. Both of those things are true, his grace and forgiveness, as well as his power to overcome and to grow. But when we're transparent about that, when we're real about our shortcomings as well as our successes, that's when we tell the gospel story most clearly and most compellingly. So this idea of letting our light shine or being a letter that others can read is not some heavy, burdensome thing that we should feel like, I'll never measure up to that. No. 
That's the beauty of it. We are simply people who've discovered how awesome, rich, and deep grace is. Amen? We're forgiven people, which is a central kernel of the gospel. It's in our honesty, it's in our authenticity that our light shines most brightly. But we are to be growing in ethical character, in integrity. People have every right to begin to expect that we aim to practice what we preach, that we're learning from Jesus, and that life in him actually makes us more whole and healthier. It's a a lifetime journey, but it is a journey toward a really good and healthy place. We'll never be perfect in our behavior, but we need to be genuine in who we are. Amen? And, And while we're at it, let's not forget loving, right? Loving. It's often said that people don't know how much, uh, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? And that is very true. So, this idea that my life or your life might draw others to Jesus, man, there's got to be a ton of love and compassion and grace in our relationships with others if it's ever going to draw them toward the God who's shown such love and patience and grace to us. If anyone's going to believe that God is love, they'll need to seek compassion and love from his people. Amen? This is square one. Now, why is this important? Because those around us, whether they've ever said it out loud to us or not, whether they've said yes to Jesus, if they, especially those who haven't yet said yes to Jesus, then they have questions. They're looking for answers. What's life all about? How do I get through this difficulty? Will I ever know love? We've discovered that Jesus answers these questions and many others, and indeed, he is the answer. This reminds me of something the Apostle Peter wrote. He said, live such good lives among your unbelieving neighbors that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. I can't help but wonder if he's remembering what he heard Jesus say earlier there in Matthew 5 that we just quoted, this idea that they're going to see your light. And they may, they may be tempted to want to say bad things about you. You know Christians these days. What a mess, right? They're not, half, they're not all wrong, right? And yet they'll see what God is doing in, in my life or in your life and in our lives in a genuine, real way, warts and all, and they'll begin to just realize, eh, I can't argue with that. The evidence is just too, too thick, too high, too clear that God must be real in your life. How we love and live the way of Jesus actually lights the way for people around us, people who need God, but like us all at one point, have some trouble seeing him. They need some light along the way. Jesus says we get to be a part of providing that light. So power, the power of life change. Secondly, the power of testimony. Our integrity and our charity are essential. But man, it's going to be our clarity that introduces people to Jesus. We must be able to say his name and explain his message in a way that others can understand. And there is no better way to do that than by telling your own story, by simply sharing who Jesus is to you when the opportunity presents itself. At one point, Jesus surveyed his disciples regarding what people were saying about him and who he was. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? Because they had all these answers. Yeah, someone says this, someone says that. There's all kinds of stuff being said about you, Jesus. Is that not true today as well? All kinds of things being said about Jesus, about his church, about his people. 
But Jesus then turns to them and says, but who do you say that I am? And this is the question he turns to each of us and asks as well. But Rob, who do you say Jesus is? Now Simon Peter speaks up and he testifies, it says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You're the Savior of the world. You're the one everyone's been looking for. You're the one promised in the scriptures. That's all wrapped up in that word Messiah. You are God in the flesh, the Son of the living God. Who do I say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? Our answers needn't be theologically complex or account for every theory of atonement or some other kind of all that kind of stuff. We just know he's the one who saves me. He's the one who loves me. He's the one who died for me and rose again. He's the one who's with me and never leaves me. He's the one who's always ready to receive me. That's who Jesus is to me and so much more. Back to this passage, Jesus replies, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And on this rock I will build my church, that's us, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. This word of witness from Peter This answer to the question, who do you say that I am, that Peter offers was so solid, was so powerful, that Jesus said all the forces of darkness don't stand a chance against it. And that same word of witness, that same answer, Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Savior of the world. That same word of witness about Jesus is just as powerful today. And we must honestly and winsomely share it, regardless of what anyone else says about him. Who do others say that I am? I know who he is. You know who he is. Our lives convey this message. Our lives tell this story. This is where our changed life comes together with this power of testimony in which we may think, I don't know how to share my faith with Jesus with with someone else, but you can answer the question, who is Jesus to me? What's he done in my life? What's he doing in my life? Our stories may or may not seem particularly striking. And we, we may wonder if ours is even worth telling. But friends, if Jesus is in your story, don't underestimate him. He's a powerful guy. And he can use the plot of your life, the storyline of your life, to help others see him in their story too. Listen, we've all endured trials because Jesus saw us through them. We've each left things behind in order to follow Jesus. We used to think in certain ways, and now in Jesus we know better. We're all trying, we were all trying to figure out what love is, and we were failing until we let Jesus love us. This is true for all of us in one way or another, and all of it makes for a great story. And the world loves stories. The world is dying for a really good and true and beautiful one, one like yours, one like yours. Who do you say Jesus is? The answer to that question answers everything. Peter understood that the hope-filled lives of followers of Jesus would be intriguing to others. So back to one of his letters, he counseled Christians uh, later on in this way. He says, if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Someone say gentle. Someone say respectful. Okay, thank you, because we need to remember those, right? Gentle and respectful. 
but always be what? Ready. Now, this, of course, presumes that we're hopeful people, right? We even mentioned it in our prayer for the Hunsaker family today. We grieve, but not without hope. That defines us as people of faith. There is no faith that doesn't also have within it this resonating sound, this, this, this sense of undying, unflappable, resilient hope. And so Peter's presuming that if with people who have faith in Christ are hopeful people, Peter clues us in on a valuable insight as well. People are most intrigued, not by our Bible knowledge. Hey, how did you learn so much of the Bible? That's not the question being asked here, right? Hey, how, how is it that you make it to church so often? Perfect attendance at church. That's not what they're asking here, right? How, how, do you get, how is your behavior just so squeaky clean and how are your laces so straight? No, that's not what they're asking, right? Where's your hope come from? This hope that your faith is producing. Where, what's the story there? The joy, the trust, and the vision that comes with hope. It is in short supply today. Hope is something we all are thirsting for. Something we get straight from Jesus. Too often people think of sharing their faith as winning an argument when we do better to see it as telling a story or just answering the question, who is Jesus to you or where does your hope come from? I love this uh, little um, story in the the Gospels. Luke chapter 8 talks about Jesus has just um, released a man who was possessed by demons. Amazing miracle. And this guy's freed now from demonic torment. He's begging Jesus. Jesus, I'll go with you wherever you're going next. I just don't want to leave you. I want to be with you wherever you go. This is what he's, it says he's begging Jesus that he would go with him wherever he's headed to next. And this is what Jesus says to him. I love this. Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. His direction was simple. This is the way you're going to follow me. And it won't be by getting in my boat and going to the next place or wherever we're headed. Just go home and tell everyone you know your story. This is what Jesus has done for me. Sound simple? Not bad, right? Just tell someone what Jesus has done for you. The power of life change. The power of testimony. And finally, I just want to talk about the power of invitation This is really one of the most gentle and respectful ways that you can be a witness of the gospel to someone else. There's this moment in Acts chapter 12. I just like this little, there's another little place that I, uh, there's all kinds of stuff going on in the story. Apostles are being persecuted, all kinds of things are happening. And then it says, meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread and there were many new believers. Friends, we're praying all the time for new believers, that we get to meet people who don't yet know Jesus, who we can introduce them to Jesus. I'm asking you, I'm inviting you to share that burden, that we all would have a a, a heart that has a burden for those who need Jesus, who don't yet know him, or who've been so hurt by the church, or so so confused by conflicting messages from Christians that they've kind of checked out of this whole Jesus thing. But there is still a hunger There's still a a wound that needs healed and there's a thirst that needs quenched and Jesus is the only one who can do any of that stuff for them. And so think about your own circle of influence, the people that you know, and then take to heart some of what we're talking about today because how did this happen, right? Scholars think about, you know, I, I love to read about the growth of the early church and 
All this, all this dramatic stuff was happening in times were tough, and yet there are all these new believers. Well, one of the main ways this had to be happening, we know, is not only preaching, when you hear the apostles, perhaps you read about the apostles preaching a sermon and, and people come to Jesus, but also person to person. Just this invitation, this sense of one person telling another person telling another person. Come, I call this the come and see strategy. And I, I, I get this from the Gospels. Jesus really laid it out. I want to take us back to the very first, some of the very first disciples being called. John chapter 1, John the baptizer's uh, standing there. Jesus walks by. He says to some of his disciples, look, that's the Lamb of God. That's the one we've been waiting for. A couple of John's disciples decide that they're going to follow Jesus. And so there's this moment where in verse 38 of John 1, Jesus says, looks around and sees them. And he asks them, what do you want? <laughs> All right. What do you want? What do you want? Friends, we could do a whole sermon on that question right there. I can't help but think that Jesus asks us this question. Rob, what do you want? And it's not because he's ready to give me whatever I want. It's because my answer to that question reveals so much about me. I will learn so much about myself if I really stop and prayerfully answer the question, what I really want in life. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said, come and see. Jesus' invitation was simple. Come and see. A lot of good things can start right there. Come and see. It goes on to say it was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. They went with him to the place where he was staying. They remained with him the rest of the day. What did they want? They wanted to spend time with Jesus. That's a pretty good want, isn't it? But check this out. I love the way this keeps going. In verse 43, we read, The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip. He said to him, Come follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathaniel. So already, I just want you to see that there's, these are human relationships that are happening. This is, we're talking about a hometown. We're talking about a couple of brothers. We're talking about this other guy who was from that same town. And then he goes and finds this guy named Nathaniel. This, this is how it works. This was how it was working from moment one, when Jesus hadn't even assembled the 12 disciples yet. It was one person talking to another person. Philip went to look for Nathaniel. He went to look for him. He didn't just bump into him. He had in mind, Nathaniel's going to want to know this. Nathaniel needs to hear this. And he told them, we have found the very person that Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. He's kind of saying to Nathaniel, hey, look who I found. You got to come see this guy. He's not saying, look how awesome I am. He's not looking, he's not looking to say, look, look how religious I am. He's not, he's not looking to say, look how righteous I am, or look how I'm so favored by God that I got to be asked by this guy to be his disciple. He's just saying, look who I found. It's the one we've been looking for. Now, Nathaniel, he, he says, Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? But what did Philip say? Come see for yourself. He didn't have to refute that. He didn't have to rebut that. He didn't have to win an argument about that. He didn't say a word about that, frankly. Come see for yourself. Nathaniel had his doubts. He was skeptical. But Philip was unfazed. Come see for yourself. The power of invitation, of come and see. In our case, of inviting people to church, for instance. Study after study shows that more people think about going to church than we might really at first realize, but they're not very unlikely to do so without an invitation from someone they know. 
someone they know. When we invite someone to check out Jesus, to just come and see, what are we inviting them to? We're inviting them into the story of Jesus that has captured us. And maybe they'll see that it's also for them that the family of God, the love of God, that the grace of God is also for them. Paul writes in Romans 10, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Not someone else tells them. Someone, maybe me and you, tells them. Power. Not just some kind of general idea of power, but the power of a changed life, the power of our testimony, of our story, the power of inviting someone, come and see. These are the basic building blocks of this whole idea of being a witness to Jesus that have been part of Jesus' following since the very beginning. And think about it. We wouldn't be here if someone hadn't lit the way for us, if someone hadn't invited us into the story, if someone hadn't told us something of their answer to the question, who is Jesus to me. That's the beautiful thing. It's been passed down and shown generation after generation, person to person, heart to heart, all the way down to us here today and those coming after us, God willing. As we take, the communion, or take our communion this morning, I'd invite you to grab your bread and a cup. This is the perfect object lesson of this idea of something being passed down to Uh, Something happened in that upper room the night before Jesus went to the cross. He was celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples. And he took the bread and he let them know that it represented his body given for them. This practice has been passed down all the way to us today. You can trace a straight, dark, straight line, straight from that moment to this moment. All through the last 2,000 years. This reminds me of another thing that Paul says to the Corinthians. He says, I passed on to you what was most important, a basic, okay? A basic. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been what? Passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. Let's take and eat, just as the scriptures say. When what was passed down has now been passed to us. Let's make sure as we celebrate Jesus' death, we, th- we look for ways we can pass it on as well. Let's take and drink together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the truth of the scriptures that we've heard this morning. We ask God that you would help us to not live up to them, but live into them. to to see that the story and the the movement of your spirit, the power that you want to give is is a very real thing that that we can experience and that we can engage with, even today and tomorrow and the next day. Lord, we pray for revival in this land. We pray for revival in our church. And when we say that word, what we mean is that you would revive each of us and that we would 
hunger and thirst for you in deeper and truer ways, Lord, and that we would then see that this light that you've given us that lights our way, that we can also help others find the way, their way to you, and that we would have a burden on our hearts, Lord, for those who don't know you or who, who have wandered far from you, many times for some really understandable reasons, but that we would in love and compassion begin to see that you've placed people in our own circles of influence that we can love back into a relationship with you. Maybe it'll be by telling our story. Maybe it'll be by just demonstrating our changed life. Maybe it will be by a come and see invitation. But whatever it is, Lord, help us to see it and help us to do it. Help us to look back and say, thank you, God, for the changed lives that we get to now witness. The yeses to Jesus that we get to see. We give you all the praise when we do. In your name, amen.